at the podcast where we review books. Welcome to our podcast, Forever Young Adult, with me, Kira. And me, Aoife. And with no preamble, because we started recording late and there are builders outside and we're hoping for some quiet, this week we're going to be doing We Are Okay by Nina LaCour. Why did you pick this book, Kira? I picked this book because this is actually the book I was reading when I was like, hey everyone, we should do a podcast. (laughs) I have lots of opinions and no one will listen to me. (laughs) I have lots of opinions and my friends keep glazing over when I talk about them, so... I picked the one friend that didn't glaze over and I was like, make a podcast with me. And you know I love to talk. This is the first book we've done on this where the other person has read it. Well, I haven't read all of this book, but I've read some of it. You have. You started it and then you didn't finish it. Indeed. Just just putting that out there. So it's a new and fresh direction for us to be in as well. Why didn't you finish it, Eva? I forget why I stopped reading it. I think... Um, I just had a very bad reading month in like December. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think I put it down to read a different book, and then I felt so guilty about it that I was like, "Kira, I didn't finish this," and Kira was like, "I will do it for the podcast." <laughs> so after that preamble, uh, we are doing "We Are Okay" by Nina Lacour. This is her fourth book that she's written solo because she also did a collaboration with David Levithan, who we will definitely be doing at some point mm-hmm. in the future. He does a lot of collaboration books that are he dual did point John Green. Green. He did do one with John Green. Will okay. Grayson, Will Grayson. Mm-hmm. Um, it won the Michael L. Pritz Award for Excellence in Young Adult Literature. So, you know, it's going to be good mm-hmm. because a panel of experts said it was. Said so. Um, the main themes are grief, family, mental health, and there's a little bit of, of LGBTQ stuff in there as well. Okay. So, we're going to start talking about the plot and stuff. Perfect. Unless you have anything else you want to add at this point. Um, I guess you said Nina LaCour is has got four books out. Uh, she did a few collaborations. Just anything else worth saying about her as a writer? Anything she said about this book? Yes, she has said stuff about this book. So this book is actually influenced by the loss of her own grandfather, to which the book is also in memory of. Dedicated to? No, it's dedicated to her wife. I, Kira, my eyes lit up like there were fireworks in them when you said her wife. Yes. Her wife, Christian. Christian, they also have a young child whose name I don't know because I didn't pray. That's probably fair. They, they, they don't necessarily want that out there. And she has had LGBT people in her books previously. Mm-hmm. And and she's explored, like, th- there's very little conflict in this book about the characters' identities mm-hmm. um, with their sexuality. And she said herself, she's like, I've done that. I feel like I can, I can now write a book in which there are queer people who have other issues going on because I've done queer people whose issues are being queer are being gay. that's really nice I yeah. love that I think we need more books I mean this is this is the debate that's happened in YA and happens in literature particularly in the community the LGBTQ plus community um it's just nice to have a queer protagonist who's big deal life conflicts aren't all built around them being queer and they're still queer so it's in memory of her grandfather it's in memory of her grandfather who died and her wife christian was like maybe you should write something 
about that because it's having an effect on you. And four years later, here we are with We Are Okay. Okay. Um, and she says some of the some of the things that like Gramps in this book does. Her grandfather used to like he was really into cards. He told lots of bad jokes, but that ultimately they are not the same person <laughs> for reasons that we will soon find. Yeah. I I know some of this book, so I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't do that? Cool. But maybe we should... I'm not going to spoil the spoilers we're giving. So do you want to get into the book discussion? Yeah. So the book is told in a non-linear fashion. We have two timelines happening, and they're more or less every second chapter, but not not completely. Mm-hmm. We have Marin, who is our main character, in the now where she is preparing for her friend Mabel's arrival to her dorm room, where she is staying on her own for the three weeks of winter break. And she has she's convinced the faculty to allow her to do this because she has no one. So it's not usual to stay over winter? No. The dorms are closed for a month-long break while classes arrive, and everyone is supposed to go home mm-hmm. to their real homes where their families where their families are and just not be here Mm -hmm. and she has talked her advisor into allowing her to stay because she just has point blank refused to give any other options so she has nowhere else to go she tells them that she has nowhere else to go i guess from hesitation firmly believes that she has nowhere else to go okay she says like her advisor asks don't you have any family they kept asking What about friends you can stay with? This is where I live now, I told them. Where I will live until I graduate. Eventually they surrendered. So she does just like give them no other option, Mm -hmm. essentially. And so they allow her to stay in the dorms for the month on her own. And she is preparing for the visit of her friend Mabel, who she has not seen since August. Okay. Um, and this is, it's now, so that was August. It is is now winter break. break, So December, the end of December. Okay. And is this after Christmas then? It's before Christmas. Okay. The book itself occurs. There are flashbacks to the past, Mm -hmm. but in real time, the book takes place over five days. Okay. So what's happening is timeline one, which is the present is five days of winter break. And timeline two in flashbacks is at a wider period of time because it essentially encompasses Marin's whole life up until now. That's more than five days. That is more than five days, but it focuses on the end of the previous school term until August. Okay, so that's kind of summer break. Then. So it's really it's really the end of school till summer break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So those are the two timelines that we're dealing with. So I'm going to talk a little bit about where we find Marin now. Okay. And then I'm going to go back in time. Okay. And also the locations are significant. Where are we located? So we're located now in, in the, on the East Coast, which is... New York. I mean, we all know there's only two places that exist in America and New York is one of them. So. Yes. Um, and then the rest of the book occurs in San Francisco. Okay. The other so, place that exists in America. The other place that exists in America. <laughs> like, literally the two places that exist in America are Castro and Christopher Street. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's the only places that exist. <laughs> Accurate representation of geography. 
so that's significant mostly because New York in the winter is cold, like yeah. real cold, which like eats into the sense of isolation that Marin has when she's in college um, because she has cut off in t- complete contact from her past. Okay. I'm going to have to ask you then. Okay, So we don't know anything about her past at this point. The only thing we know about her past is that she theoretically has one and she is a little bit haunted by it because she is very nervous about Mabel coming. Okay. We don't know why she's nervous about Mabel coming, just that she is. And one of the things that she does because she's very anxious about like Mabel coming and she also like wants to prove to Mabel that she's doing okay, even though she has told us that she is not. Okay. Um, is that, like, she tries to fake a life for herself by, like, there's a notice board in the dorm room, mm-hmm. and she prints off loads of pictures, and she tries to hang them up and, like, put some inspirational quotes on it, kind of like her roommate Hannah has done. Yeah. Um, but she takes it all down again. Because so- she's like, it's all fake, and Mabel will know it's all fake. So she's trying to like play act at having built a life for herself in college. Cause she's saying, this is where I live now. This is what I do now. But that seems like a hint that there isn't actually much happening. She's not like a building a good life for herself here. Yeah. She's kind of just existing. Okay. Um, she, she goes to class and she swims and her roommate Hannah is very good to her. And is like, come hang out with me and you can hang out with my friends. You can eat with us in the cafeteria. Mm -hmm. And so she just kind of is friends with her. Mm -hmm. She is friends with Hannah. But it's in mostly uh, this person is talking to me and and is being very kind to me. And I will just follow along with what they suggest. suggest. So now I'm going to start flashing back. Okay. Because as we are waiting for Mabel to arrive, we learn a little bit about the two of them. Marin and Mabel have been friends for like the last five years and they are as close as sisters. Um, But there's also a major theme in this book is like changing relationships. Okay. And there is also between them, they've been friends for about five years. They go to school together there, but there is also an emerging romance between them over the previous summer. Okay, that is not sisterly. That's not sisterly. No. Um, Ideally. Ideally. (laughs) So they're just real close, maybe, in a way that doesn't have a family allegory. Maybe. I will rephrase that whole bit. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) They're super close. They consider them each other family. They... So they're really... We can keep it in. We can keep it in. Tell me about, you said that changing relationships is a huge theme in this book. Yes. So I said we were going to talk about Babel, Mm -hmm. but we're not. We're actually going to talk about Grabs. Okay. Um, So Marin has been raised by her grandfather after her mother's death when she was three. And they have an unusual relationship because Marin... And her grandfather have a kind of... Myron is like, he's not my parents. He is my caregiver. And we have a relationship that isn't quite as parental as most caregiver relationships would be. Mm -hmm. Because he's my grandparent. And there's a big age difference. And he wants his privacy and his time. And so I give it to him. And that means that I have my privacy and my time. And it means on some level he has asked her to parent herself to a large degree. 
see, like, that's the kind of arrangement I can see working reasonably well if you get, like, custody of a 16-year-old. But, like, at what age did Marin start living with her granddad? She started li- living with him when she was three. And did he give this three-year-old her own face? It's unclear, but definitely by the time she is seventeen, she is eighteen. She has a large degree of freedom, um, but also like it seems that it's been like that for quite a long time because she they share a house, yeah. as people who live together do, yeah. but they also share a house in a very unconventional way because. The way that they share the house, literally, she lives at the front of the house and he lives at the back of the house. She describes it as, mine was the front bedroom overlooking the streets, while Gramps occupied two rooms at the back of the house. Between us were the living room and dining room and kitchen. Just noting for the recording, I accidentally pressed pause for at a point there. But we, it was you who was speaking, so uh, you're just going to have to put in space in where... Uh, I forgot that. Okay, go cool. over. So she describes it She describes it twice. Because early in the book, she's like, this is just my living situation. And then later in the book, another character questions us. Uh-huh. So I'm going to give you both. Okay. okay. So mine was the front bedroom overlooking the street, while Gramps occupied two rooms at the back of the house. Between us were the living room and dining room and kitchen. So we could pretty much do whatever we wanted without fear that the other would be listening. He never came into my room. I never came into his. We spent plenty of time together in the in-between rooms, reading on the sofa and easy chair, playing cards in the dining room, cooking together. So they just coexist in this house, more like roommates, where he is obviously the caregiver, but very much like, this is my space, this is your space, this is communal space. So now I'm picturing like Neapolitan ice cream, where like, she's got the pink, and he's got the brown and like the vanilla is where they come together. But ne'er the twain shall meet kind of thing. Yeah, that is that is very accurate. See, like that can be a healthy living situation. But like if it speaks to a larger divide in their relationship where he's just not raising her, that's going to be bad and traumatizing. Yeah, so later she's describing it to uh, the, the child of a real estate agent. And she says, they're talking about houses because Courtney is moving. Mm-hmm. They go, she goes, how big is your place? Courtney asked me. It's a house, I said. It's pretty big. I think three bedrooms. What do you mean you think? My grandpa lives at the back and I live in the front. There's two rooms back there, maybe three. Courtney, uh, Courtney's eyes narrowed. You haven't been to the back of your own house? It's not that weird, I said. He has a study and a bedroom. And then they kind of continue on like that. So is there a corridor she just hasn't ever gone into? She has. Like, she's kind of stood at the doorway of the study, but she hasn't gone any further than that. Okay. Um, And she's never been in his bedroom. Okay. But it kind of, like, haunts her a little bit. Like, this thing that she's always took as the norm... And has never questioned before. And then Courtney is just like indignant about it. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of like, this isn't regular. This is just, and she kind of questions it in that way. Um, And she does just kind of brush it off. And she says, I was only giving him privacy. He was old and the whites of his eyes seemed more yellow every week. And he coughed like something was ready to rattle loose inside inside of him. 
I was only being considerate. It's what anyone would do. But still, doubts, doubts. And that part about doubts is very significant. And is this... Is this part of the flashback timeline or is this part of the like present tense winter timeline? That was part of the flashback part time- timeline. So does she ever like see granddad's room? She does. Okay. She does. Near the end of the novel, we get to a point where she sees her grandfather's room. Okay. So throughout the flashbacks, her granddad has been getting a little bit sick. Okay. He's had this pervasive cough. And at times, Marin has found tissues and handkerchiefs that have blood on them from his cough. Okay, like a proper consumptive heroin from a Regency novel, yes. Yes, of course. But they don't communicate this about this at all. What? What? No. So, does she know if he's getting it looked at? Is... She knows that he takes his pills. She knows that he has been prescribed pills, but she doesn't check in that he's taking them. She just assumes that he is, and she doesn't know what they're for. He is on medication. Um, and so one of the ways that she, like, tries to take care of him is to, like, make sure all the laundry is done, and she doesn't mention it when there's blood in the handkerchiefs. She tries to make dinners. But she's also being, like, a very 18-year-old girl, and she's staying out late with her friends so they don't necessarily have dinner together as much as they used to it's the summer Mm -hmm. he's giving her more freedom and so later on she does feel a lot of guilt over this like she should have checked in with him more i i guess but i just can't get over the dynamic and like i don't think marin can take responsibility for the dynamic that's been set up here because she was a child when it was put in place and like it's a dynamic that I can see working as a three-year-old coming to visit granddad's house. We don't play in the back rooms because those are granddad's space. But when she comes to live with him and when he's her caregiver, it's insane. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, it is not a healthy relationship. And this lack of communication in regards to like his health and like well-being and just how things are day-to-day also goes back to kind of there's a lack of communication across the board here because Mm -hmm. he also refuses to talk about Marin's mother yeah it was going to be my next question uh it's like what happened to her parents so her father was a tourist who came to California had a fun time and then went back to Australia Okay, and we know Australia? Or is that just where surfers come from? <laughs> we, he, yes, he was a tourist from Australia. Okay. Um, and they don't have any contact with him. They don't have any details. He is likely not to know that there is a child. Okay, okay. And then Marin's mother was a surfer and she dr- died in a drowning accident while surfing. Okay. Um, was it like, and Marin was three. Yeah. Was she was an active surfer then? Was it like during a competition or anything? Is it? I think it was just out surfing. On a day. On a okay. day. Nothing special about it. Um, and so she's been raised by her grandfather since then. But her grandfather doesn't talk about her, his daughter. And he doesn't talk about his, his wife, who is also dead. No answer uncles for Marin. No answer uncles for Marin. And so Marin is like very isolated from her own history. And... One of the ways in which she connects with her mom is by going down to the beach 
and surfers who knew her mom would like kind of come up to her and say a tidbit about her mom like oh you look so like her or your mom was a great surfer and they'll hand her a shell because her mom used to collect shells and so Marin has jars and collections of shells that she's been given by people who surf with her mother but have really no other connection to her at all and she often doesn't know their names she doesn't know anything about them just that okay so again that's something that makes a little bit of sense in a community where a significant member has recently died and they're mourning her and this three-year-old is her child and they want to continue a connection with her but it doesn't make a lot of sense 15 years later with an 18 year old young woman is is there this sense and I'm asking you because I didn't get this far into this book mm-hmm. is there a sense that until that summer a lot of things in Marin's life are like frozen and there's no development because that's what it's sounding like a lot of these relationships are just stuck in stasis her grandfather is stuck in stasis okay but she herself is like changing she makes new friends she yeah. has changing relationships with other people there's a boy who she's ref- she goes to a party at his house and they used to kiss until they decided that they were better as friends than people who kissed mm-hmm. like she has relationships she grows as a person she's a writer and creative type mm-hmm. um and actually some of her writing gets her in trouble oh so she tells she remembers a time when mm. is this in the flashback or is it a flashback from the flashback it's kind of a flashback of a flashback okay so she writes a story for class in which Mm -hmm. um there are a number of sirens who accidentally kill a a young girl's mother Mm -hmm. um and so they raise the girl and they tell her stories about her and making her as real as they could but there was always a hollowness to the girl that they couldn't fill and and Marin is like this is just a story it doesn't really mean anything the the nuns of the school to which she goes to are like this has deeper meaning and so they call her grandfather in um under the guise of talking about her academic progress yeah um but really to be like do you ever talk about your daughter with your grandchild yeah um, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna. I, I understand you're launching into a bigger thing about her relationship with her grandfather here, but can I just say, oh, that's relatable from any troubled creative teens when like you're like, oh, I've made this beautiful piece of work, and your teachers are like, is everything okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, and Marin actually does reference that. She's like, I realized I should have known better. I should have written about a prince raised by wolves after he lost his father to the woods or whatever. Something less transparent because teachers always thought everything was a cry for help. Some things are a cry for help, though, is the thing, Marin. Yeah. So they invite her grandfather in in order to talk about this. And they're essentially like, remembering the departed is the only way to heal. And Gramps is so angry about this because he's like I remember my wife I remember my daughter like you who are you a nun who has no significant relationships because you married Jesus Mm -hmm. to tell me how to remember and grieve my loved ones okay but it's not all about you some of it's about your granddaughter 
Yes. And the nun points that out. She's like, my concern here is for Marin. And all I ask is that you share some of your memories with her. And Marin is like, no, 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 no. That's not necessary. And she's like, changes the subject of the, the meeting. She's like, hey, I skipped class. I'm sorry for skipping class. We're, we're good. We're good. I'm mm. fine. She doesn't want to, like, get her grandfather obsessed. Um, and so is is that a thing in their vibe then? Does Marin feel... Ha- She's, she seems to be tiptoeing. Like, she has a desire for growth, and some of that growth requires more knowledge of her past but she's very she seems implicitly but maybe like unconsciously aware that he does not want her to have that knowledge yeah like she's like talking about it upsets him so we won't talk about it okay um and part of it is in order to like save herself grief as well because she doesn't want to get her hopes up Mm. and then be disappointed by by asking for information and then being told she can't have it. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and that seems like, given the structure of how books usually go, there's going to be a culmination to that. Yeah. And the other thing is that there is no photos of her mother in the house. There's one photo of, of her mother, Claire, in the house. And that's all. Okay. So she doesn't have any photos of her mom. She doesn't have any photos of when she was small, um, which it comes back when small when her pre three years old. Yeah, she she asks her grandfather for this for the they're all graduating and for the graduation book they're looking for pictures of when the kids of when the students were like really small so they can show like them now and them as babies and so she's helping Mabel pick a picture of herself and she's like oh I don't have any pictures of myself and Mabel's mom points out she was like well you were three when you like she was like so much was lost essentially between like the moving of between houses yeah yeah like they're probably there somewhere um, and so Mabel's mom encourages her to ask her grandfather because he would have been like sent a picture or something. He might have one around. So Marin goes back home to her grandfather. And this is part of like the getting her hopes up. Because mm-hmm. she asks her grandfather, do you have any photos of me? I need them for the school thing. It's chill. Don't worry about it. No big deal. Whatevs. I don't really care. And her grandfather like is like, I will look. And then he comes back the next day and he's like, no there's mm. nothing okay um was i mean under i understand that given the the limitations of the novel and the narrator it mightn't be possible but like was Marin's mother close to gramps did they have an ongoing relationship it appears that they did okay so he definitely has photos of Marin as a child then 100 percent and here we are going to move into, like, big spoilers. <laughs> big spoilers. Okay, big spoilers. Time. Cool. So big spoiler time. He does have photos. Okay. So throughout the novel, within the flashbacks at least, he has been writing to a woman called Birdie. And he and Birdie are pen pals. And he makes a point at one point that their relationship is loving but not romantic. Okay. Um, because he wants to be clear that like he's not dating Birdie. Um, and Mabel and Marin both just love they love this. They're like he's they're 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 old people who 
write letters across the country to each other. Um, sometimes he sent, she sends him gifts. Like at one point he, she sends an old dress of hers and he like treasures it. And a thing that he says is send a letter, get a letter, send okay. a letter, get a letter. And we discover that Birdie is a nickname for Marin's mother. Okay. Um, and that Claire is dead and that Gramps has been writing to an imagined person for Marin's whole life. So like the imagined what Claire would be like now. Yes. Okay. In some ways. And all of the gifts that she has ever sent him were items that he owned, that he already owned and that he kept in his back rooms. And that he did. That's so weird. Why would he bring them out and be like, it's a gift from Birdie to Marin and she. It's not to Marin, it's to himself. But like, why would Marin know about them? He shows them. Sometimes he gets like, when he gets the dress, he's like really excited about it and he shows it to Marin. That's so fucked up. It is. It is pretty messed up. That's bad. Um, and what we've come to learn over the course of the novel is that he is a little bit mentally ill as well as physically ill. Yeah, I can get that. Okay. Um, and at least once when Marin was six or seven, he was hospitalized. Um, and at the time, it appears that he was hospitalized for a physical illness. Marin has come to realize following this event, this discovery of all of these personal items that were her mother's and these letters that were not to anyone, that he was possibly hospitalized for a mental illness. Okay. And how long was how long was he hospitalized? Do we know that kind of thing? About four weeks. Okay. And she went to live with friends of his during that time. Okay, okay. Um, and they didn't tell her, obviously, because old people. I've got a question about the dress. I know this is, like, tangential and yeah. tiny, but, like, if he is receiving a dress as a gift mm-hmm. from this person who he's, like, close to, there is... Uh, fashion trends exist. Um, how does... How does Marin not identify it as like a dress from the 80s as opposed to a dress from like the 50s? I don't know. Okay. Um, it could also, yeah, I don't know. Okay. So that's that's just not gone into, okay, I'm fixating on the wrong parts then. Okay, so how does she figure out all of this? Um, she figures this out because she's at a party. Um, she's at a party and... I'm actually going to backtrack. Okay. I'm going to backtrack. We're going to talk about, we're going to pause on Gramps. Okay. Okay. And like the accumulation of this novel. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about her relationship with Mabel. Okay. So Mabel is her best friend and they've been best friends for many years, about five years now. And they have a developing relationship where they are kind of moving from friends to girlfriends. Romance. Romance. Okay. And there's like a significant bit where they are getting ready for a party. And there's actually two significant parts in this. Um, one to do with like them themselves and then another to do with the relationship with Gramps. Mm-hmm. And they're at Mabel's house and they're getting ready for the party. And they say, 
We were getting ready for the party, but the time was getting later and we weren't hurrying. The real event was us in her room. So they're two 18-year-olds getting ready to go dancing with all their friends. And they're like, but that part of the event isn't that important. The bit that's like of value to us here is spending time together. Yeah, that sounds cute. It is real cute. Um, And then once they've gotten ready and they've both bought new dresses, they bought the same dress but in different colors Mm -hmm. so that they're the same but different. That is a thing that I have known real life girlfriends to do. Yeah. And they come downstairs and they're in Mabel's house. Mabel's parents are like, you are not leaving the house in that dress to Mabel. Is it a, a skimpy dress? It is a skimpy dress. Okay. Um, like the mother describes it as like lingerie. Okay. And, and Mabel like protests and her parents force her to change. They're like, no. Yeah. And Marin is really conflicted because she's standing there in the same dress. Yeah. Just in a different color. Um, and she says, I wanted to know what it felt like. I wanted them to tell me no. Oh, sweet baby. So she's like crying out in the scene for parenting. Yeah, because that's the thing, right? When you're like a teenager, part of growing up is having a conflictual relationship with your caregivers. Because obviously, if you have good caregivers, they're like, we want to set boundaries for you because we have a bit more experience in the world. So we're going to highlight points x y z which you don't understand and then you because you are a person and you don't particularly care what these people have to say all of the time necessarily you're like well fuck you but all the same it is an important thing to have that give and take and parents and caregivers are meant to be they're meant to be buzzkills. They're meant to stop you from having fun. And she doesn't have that. It's important to have boundaries so that you have something that you can safely push against. Yes. That's, I'm sorry. I said yes with so much enthusiasm <laughs> that like my headphone mic came off. Yes, that's completely it. You need someone to tell you no so you can push back against that no and figure out where to push and where not to push and like what the whys and wherefores yeah yeah and so Marin essentially parents herself here um and she says and so the bit in the book is um Anna was looking at me I didn't wait around to see if her eyes would find their way back and if the right words would follow I heard Mabel's door slam and I ran up to her she was digging around through her drawers saying how stupid all her clothes were but I didn't listen because I was trying to figure out what to do. I had a pair of jeans I'd worn, but the shirt was too plain. So I took off the dress, picked up the scissors Mabel kept on her desk, and I cut the dress right below the waist. What are you doing, Mabel said. You don't have to change. I pulled the jeans up and tucked the fraying stems of what used to be the dress. When we went back downstairs, Anna jumped up from her place on the sofa and took my hands. You look beautiful, she said. Good choice. I was buoyant with gratitude as we left the house. I drifted down Jero Street, a girl with her best friend, a maker of good choices. Okay. I'm just very sad because I don't think at this point, and I mean, obviously, there's probably a whole lot that gets unpacked that we haven't even got into right now. It just seems like she doesn't quite 100% understand that 
there is something that she needs which she hasn't been getting from her primary caregiving relationship and it like she knows that it feels really good to be like cared for but like she doesn't seem to under like she's not putting it together that therefore her grandfather is maybe not the best at caring for her yeah 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 because she she thinks they're equal she and i mean they are equals obviously but like their relationship is treated much more equally than a than a traditional uh parent child dynamic yes yeah Okay, um, so so how does there, this link back? From yeah. there, we have Mabel and Marin are hanging out, becoming romantic. They're getting ready for this party where getting ready together alone is the, the main event. And they they sneak out one of the nights of, of summer break and find themselves on the beach with a little bit of alcohol. And they start, they, they reminisce. Mm. about when they used to practice kissing <laughs> as okay. all young teen girls do it never fucking happened does that happen in real life well, it didn't happen with me but books lead me books in the media <laughs> would lead me to believe that american girls of 12 and 13 13 and 14 are always kissing each other later to realize that they're gay okay <laughs> yeah wild not in my experience but okay <laughs> Um, and they decide to maybe try kiss for real and they have a bit of fun on the beach and from there their romantic relationship kind of forms is this before or after the the incident with the dress change and that parenting after okay cool so um they go to a couple of parties together and at one party this is the significant party from earlier. And Marin is there with Mabel. And Marin reflects that they're kind of dating and they're kind of together. But they haven't actually had like any official talk. And she's wondering if it would be okay for her to like hold Mabel's hand in front of all of these people. And that would like make them official. Mm-hmm. And in the end, she decides not to because she wants to talk to her first about it. Good instinct, but and also cute vibes. Very cute vibes. And when she comes home from that party, she finds the house empty. And what time of the night is it? This is around 11 o'clock. And okay. Okay. Uh- Okay, dumb question, but how does she know the house is empty if she never goes into her grandfather's living space? He, the food that she left him is uneaten. Okay. Um, there's just, there are just signs that he is not there. She goes and she knocks on his study door and there's no answer. And so she comes back into the shared space and she calls a friend of his, Jones, to see if he's with him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Gramps isn't here. And he says, have you checked the house? So she goes into the study. For the first time ever. For the first time ever. And from there, she goes into the bedroom where she discovers photographs. The room is covered in photographs of her mother and her grandmother. And even some of her as a very young child. And there's like just the room is essentially a shrine 
to her mother and there's personal items in there and she goes back into the study where she discovers that all of the letters to and from Bertie are all written in her grandfather's hands so he hasn't been writing to anyone Bertie is her mother and this is an intense betrayal yeah it is a bit weird as well yeah. We all have our coping mechanisms. Yes. So uh, once she was trying. when she was talking to Jones on the phone, he said that he would call the police. Mm-hmm. So the police arrive and they bring her to the station and it becomes clear that her grandfather has drowned. Okay, like her mother did. On purpose. Mm, possibly not like how her mother did then. Okay. Did he mm, ocean? Yes, it would appear committed suicide Okay, by walking into the ocean. So he has mirrored her mother's death of drowning. Do we know how her grandmother died? No, she died quite young. Okay, I was going to say, from, from the stuff, I'm guessing that she wasn't around when Marin was young. Okay, No, she died around age 45, in her mid-40s. Okay. Um, they have a witness who has reported seeing an elderly man walking the beach and they believe that he has drowned as a result. They do not find a body. Okay. And even in the now of Christmas, they have not found a body. Oh, that's really, really tough. Does Marin like believe that he's dead or does she believe that he's coming back? Marin believes that he is dead, but simultaneously is like and she shares this with with Mar with Mabel afterwards which is that she doesn't she she has a moment of pure panic where she's like is he dead there's no body what if he had just taken some of his savings that he didn't give to me and he just walked into the night and has disappeared and abandoned me mm-hmm. essentially and Mabel is like, he's dead. He's dead. Yeah. We're full sure he's dead. That's what has happened. You don't need to doubt this. Mm -hmm. But Marin herself isn't sure. And this doubt kind of leads into other things where chapter 27 is just seven words, which are, I am afraid he never loved me. Yeah. Because yeah the relationship or is that a that's in the now okay um because if she doubts one part of their relationship then it brings doubt into everything else yeah and as well okay and that's part of the reason why she has isolated herself so much in new york because that's the next thing i was going to ask is you know you said at the very beginning that she is staying in New York over Christmas. She has nowhere to go, no one to go to. And she hasn't really talked to people. We know she has a past and she's not talking to anyone from it. She's not so what to- about Mabel? Mabel has kind of just declared that she is coming. Love that. Um, and so Marin is arri- prepared for her arrival. And when Mabel gets there, she's like, I have a dual purpose. I wanted to check that you're okay, but also... My parents and I want you to come live with us. We want to be your full-time family. Um, we see that you are alone and you don't need to be because we will take care of you. Okay. And Marin is like, 
nah, I'm good. I'm 18. I'm legally an adult. There's no way I could ever require support from another human being for the rest of my life. Yes, but mostly she just doesn't want to be a burden on them. Oh, honey. <laughs> okay. And she's cut off contact. She doesn't want relationships that could hurt her. So this is part of it. She's like, my grandfather left me enough money for my tuition. And I just got to keep just got to keep myself going, essentially. You can have help. You can have yeah. support. I'm guessing that's the realization of the present tense of the novel then. That is the realization of the present tense of the novel. And how does that work? <laughs> and that works in a very complex way. Okay. So now we have all the information that is slowly revealed. That is slowly revealed that Mabel has. That now we have all the information that is slowly revealed that Marin has. Okay. And so parts of this we discover through flashbacks to the previous summer, and parts of it we discover as Marin very slowly opening back up to Mabel. Okay. So how much of this did Mabel know before Marin just fucking disappeared from her? She knew that her granddad was dead, presumably. She knows that the grandfather is dead. She doesn't know anything about Bertie or or Marin's mother or Gramps' relationship thereof. Okay. Um, she just she knows everything related to the two of them. Um, and that's kind of it. Okay. Um Mar- Mabel and her family came to the police station to pick Marin up after and Marin sneaks out a back door of the police station of the police station she essentially the police are like these people are here to bring you home and she's like I don't want to go with them I don't want to go with them I'm leaving on my own and therefore does okay because she's 18 and no one can tell her otherwise yeah so and does not speak to them Mm. at all and then the next day gets a flight to New York she stays in a hostel for two weeks and then starts college. Okay, so she does so, not want... Yeah, not um, only did she abandon everyone in San Francisco, she also left San Francisco with her phone, her her phone, a picture of her mother, and her wallet. I want to cry. <laughs> Honey! So no. she arrives in New York with literally nothing the clothes on her back the clothes on her back a picture of her mother and money okay um so she has like really started fresh yeah yeah so the novel kind of brings mabel back up to speed mabel has also been living her own life yeah um at a different college and she has started dating a boy who she loves and who knows the situation and kind of knows their story. Yeah. Um, and they have a very cute conversation that I, as a bisexual, really appreciate, mm-hmm. which is him being like, are you okay? And her being like, I'm good. Everything's fine. I love you. You can trust me. And I'm just like, oh, my God, the conversation of bisexuals everywhere. <laughs> The acknowledgement that you can trust me. You can trust me as your partner. Yeah. The mating call. Of the bisexual. Of the bisexual. Um, I am trustworthy as a human being. I am I am trustworthy because I am 
anyway it's fine we'll not get into queer theory this is a book (laughs) where the queer identities are tangential but it's nice that mabel has a partner who is good yes okay and so in that way their relationship so their relationship has changed a number of times throughout their book they were friends maron and mabel's they were friends they were romancing and now they are trying to be family they're trying to go back to that friendship situation and Mabel is like a little bit guilty that she started a new relationship when they didn't really have closure on their situation. But she's like, I've been texting you all year. I've been texting you all year. I sent you a message before I went on my very first date with this boy. I sent you a text message that was like an in-joke between the two of us about how we would make our relationship work when we were in very different colleges. Um, and you didn't get back to me. And so I took that as permission to date, to, to, to move on and to live my own life. Um, has Marin been like reading these messages and letting them Marin pass by? Marin has been reading these messages and just moving on from them. Okay. Okay. So she's been acknowledging them, but not replying, replying in any way. And so that's kind of how they do by the time Mabel leaves they have repaired their relationship enough to be like we will be friends moving forward and Marin is going to check in with some people back home and like try to reconcile her past with her present okay good so Mabel leaves and Marin is like immediately like oh god I shouldn't have left her leave (laughs) That was a terrible idea. Okay, how many days into the five days are we? We We're now day four. Day four, okay. So Mabel leaves and Marin is like, I don't know what to do with myself. I have nothing to do. So she sets about, at the very start of the the novel, she wrote a to-do list of things to do over winter break in order to stop herself falling into like a chasm. Going stir crazy. Because also the pool is not open and... There's a lot of water metaphors throughout this novel. And swimming is like Important. her saving grace, Okay, essentially. Okay. There are public pools in cities. So she starts about like kind of doing her to-do list. And also extremely significantly, she decides to put some things on her notice board. Okay. Her roommate, Hannah, had left her a letter, which when she opens, contains just a single string of snowflakes, that like paper craft mm-hmm. snowflakes. And so she hangs that on the board. She also borrows a couple of tacks from Hannah's board in, also, in order to put up the picture of her mother on the board. And she puts like a couple of other little things on it. This situation mirrors earlier in the novel where she was like trying to fake it. And now she is really opening up and trying to be the person that she is. Out loud. Out loud. In her actual living space. The next thing that happens is Mabel returns. Mabel returns after day four. Yes. She returns with her parents. Okay. Who have come in order to spend Christmas Day with Marin. And to do one final push to welcome her into their family because they're like, we wanted you to come home with Mabel and you wouldn't. So here we are to show that we are loving and supportive of you. 
Y'all, y'all got siblings? And they have one sibling, Matthew. Is he there too? He is not there. He is touring the world. Okay. Yes. And so, so they have a beautiful Christmas day together and they have a discussion about betrayal. Okay. Um, and quite meaningful because Marin feels like, like she has betrayed them by running away. Okay. And Anna is like, no, it was tragedy and it was heartbreak, but it wasn't a betrayal. Like, you were hurt and we understand that. Mabel has told us the story with your grandfather. We now realize there was so much more happening for you than we previously did. And so you didn't betray us. You were betrayed. Like, your grandfather hurt you and we want to give you support. Okay. And they invite her into their family. And she says yes. It's just a massive turnaround from even just five days ago yeah. when Mabel's like, hey, like my parents are cleaning out a room for you and we want you to come live with us. Mm-hmm. And like we want that to be the place where you go when you're not on term. We want you. We, you are our family. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, no, 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 no. I'm. I'm doing this all on my own. I have I don't need any support. I don't want any support. And now she's like opened up just enough. And it is just a really short period of time. So yeah. it's not like she's having this massive like healing or anything, but she is starting the process. And that's really the culmination of the novel. Sounds like a good book. It is a really good book. I'm going to introduce a new bit to our podcast nice. where after person A, in this case Kira, uh, finishes their summary of the book, person B, in this case Aoife, asks her what was the highlight, the low light, and the weird little sidelight. So best part, um, worst part, and the bit that really stuck with you. The bit that stuck with me was really tiny. So we talked about how Marin cuts her dress in order to go to the party mm-hmm. on her own. Um, and... But Anna, Mabel's mother, is a artist mm-hmm. and she uses physical materials in order to do collages. Yes. And when they enter the house that day, she's working on a piece which is of the ocean. Yeah. Um, and she's like, it needs something and I don't know what. I can't find the right thing to put with it. And she uses the cutoff parts of, Ma- of Marin's dress which I really love as yeah. part of like the symbolism of Marin bringing everyone together and Marin like completing a picture. Yeah. Especially with like when later they invite her into their family and they're like, they're kind of like you've always been in our family. Yeah. So I thought that was really beautiful. I don't think I have a least favorite part. Uh, nothing is coming to me right now as a low point. It's a beautifully written book. Um, I would think that my favorite part is just the descriptions there's some absolutely beautiful descriptions mm-hmm. within the novel especially of like water and like of small objects um Marin has a bowl that I didn't talk about that she goes into great detail describing because it's extremely meaningful to her as just like a singular object mm-hmm. and I really liked that I really liked that the novel is so compact like yeah I focus on details yeah yeah, that makes sense because like the physicality of things seems to be very important for yeah. like how Marin understands the world. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so I'm feeling like we're not. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Give a good conclusion to our podcast. Uh, nothing else I'd like to say. Um, if you, the listeners, have 
read the book or want to read the book or have any questions or things that you want to say, you should hit us up on our Twitter and we will get back to you. What's our Twitter, Kira? Yes, our Twitter is forever YA pod, one word and spelled out forever. Yes. No fours for us, baby. No, F-O-R-E-V-E-R-Y-A-P-O-D. I can spell things. Yeah, get it, Get in contact with us if you have anything to tell us about this episode. If you have any recommendations for books for us to read later, that would be super cool. Um, we will be back next episode when I will be talking about John Green's most recent book, Turtles All the Way Down. Bye-bye. Bye.